Hello, and welcome to episode 112 of Killer Hangover. My name is Beth. And I'm Bettina. Happy Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day. What is Memorial Day, darling? I looked it up on the good old Google. (laughs) You knew I was going to ask you, right? (laughs) Well, Memorial Day, fun fact, was originally known as Decoration Day. Ah, because they decorated the gravesites? Yes, they decorated the gravesites, and I guess they still do. Mm-hmm. Mourning the United States military personnel who have died while serving in the United States Armed Forces. There you go. So as you are enjoying that hot dog or hamburger or brewski on your day off from work, hopefully. Remember the sacrifices that our vets have done. I always put my father's military hat out on Memorial Day. You do? I do. I pull it out from under the bed and I put it out (laughs) so that we're reminded of that day. And of course, you see flags flying all the time, too. So that's why. You've got the true crime. I have the true crime this week. And oh, by the way, we're... Oh, by the way, we're recording together. (laughs) Together. 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 In person, together. (laughs) Which is so much fun and so much better. But at the same time, we start so much later. Uh, Yeah, we do. Like the kids were in bed easily before eight o'clock. And... We probably have everything set up within five minutes, but we just sit here gabbing. (laughs) Do you see that thing about Kim Kardashian? What about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard? Oh, my story. Oh, what are you drinking? And then two two hours later, (laughs) here we are. But at home, it's like, okay, we're meeting at 8.15. We start, we finish. Log on to Zoom. Here we go. Boom. Oh my goodness gracious. So this is our last week to week episode. Just a reminder to you guys, we will not have an episode next week. It'll be out the following week and it'll be every other week through June, through July, and some of August. Also, you only have a couple days. You have until the first to get those reviews in. The first, y'all. You hear that? First of June. You have until the first of June. So you have two days from when this episode comes out to get those reviews in, send us your screen names and one of y'all are getting a goodie. Why are we talking y'all? Like what? I don't know. You started it (laughs) and you followed. (laughs) I have no more announcements, but you have, but what are we drinking? I mean, what are we drinking? Mom, (laughs) again, we just blah, 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 blah. And she went to my refrigerator and came out with beers. I did because Memorial Day. (laughs) (laughs) Sit around. But she is, I mean, that arm is like, no, think of Gumby's arm. It is so far reaching. I know you wouldn't relate to this, but I'm thinking Memorial Weekend, go out camping. I know you wouldn't relate to that, but camping, sitting around a fire at night, most people would be drinking a beer around the fire. I would be drinking sparkling, but (laughs) so I thought we'll just have a beer. Okay. Well, I thought that that should make you happy. Well, yes, it made me very happy. I love beer. I'm drinking. I'm actually drinking this Boulevard Brewing Company. They came out with a new beer called Southwest Boulevard. It is divine. It is so good. It is going to be my summer staple. If you guys can get your hands on it, do it. It is a lager, but Mom tried it and agreed with me. Yep. It is not heavy like a normal lager. I should have gotten one of those it out is of the fridge. Very, it has like a lime kick to it. It's mm-hmm. light. It's very crisp. It is 4.5% alcohol and it is very refreshing. So good. It is so good. Alex, who is not a beer drinker, probably drank four of my six pack. <laughs> Bummer, dude. Well, I'm drinking a Vison. Yeah, she's drinking a Casey Beer Company. Hefeweizen, yeah, Bavarian style. I think we've had this before on the show. I think so. We we drank that with Skittles. Oh, that's right. True that. Okay. I should have grabbed... I mean, it's fine, but... Well, do you want more Skittles? I have Skittles. You can throw some in there. <laughs> I might do that. <laughs> so, anyway, we can actually cheers. Yes, we can. Cheers. cheers. <laughs> I have a surprise for you. I love surprises. You were in charge of the beverages and did such a good job. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I made these. <gasps> what are they? 
They look fun. These are more Memorial Day cherries. Okay. <laughs> they look red, white, and blue. Can we have them for, I was going to say Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> sure, Mom. We can be, Fourth of July. We can be Americana <laughs> for whatever your little heart desires. I found the recipe for these on delish.com. And they're actually called Boozy Cherry Bombs. They're so cute. They are maraschino cherries and then i soaked them in fireball whiskey nice we just recently had fireball whiskey well, that's why i had it on hand <laughs> they're soaked in fireball whiskey and and whipped cream flavored vodka really mm-hmm. the recipe said to soak them for an hour i soaked them overnight y- you have to then i drained the cherries i, I thought you say you drank <laughs> and i drank all the juice <laughs> And then you kind of dry off the cherries. You just pat each one dry. You dry them off as you take them out of their bath. Then you melt white chocolate chips and you dip the cherries into the white, melted white chocolate. Mm -hmm. And then you dip the tip of that into the blue sprinkles. And you have the red, white, and blue cherries. (laughs) We'll eat one. Oh, these are good. I've had a few. They're very good. (laughs) They do have a kick to them. Yeah. They're sweet, but they're not. I love cherries, though. So. Oh, the fireball really gives it a nice little kick. I like it. I love them. We better not leave that plate out here, though. No, 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 no. I don't need to eat a lot of these. <laughs> it's not pairing the best with my Southwest Boulevard, but okay, I'll put them back. Okay. Are you ready for a true crime story? I'm ready. By the way, we're covering Ohio for this week. I don't know if we said that. <laughs> I think we did. <laughs> We just jumped right into the booze. I told you when we're together, it's a totally different (laughs) scenario. Okay. Oh, by the way. (laughs) By the way, we're doing Ohio. By the way. By the way, if you guys make these recipes, send them to us. Send a picture. Yeah. Send us a picture of them. Send us a picture of you enjoying it with your mom. I don't care, but send us a picture of them. Or if you like change the recipe up a little bit or, oh, I've been making those, but I use this vodka instead. Send it to us. Communicate with (laughs) us. Let us know you're out there. So sad that's true. (laughs) We're not begging, but we're begging. (laughs) I'm begging. (laughs) Okay, so should I share a true crime story now officially? Ten minutes in. Oh, let's keep drinking. <laughs> Two hours later. <laughs> oh, my. So I first heard this case on the True Crime Garage podcast. I love those guys. I've talked about them before. Mm-hmm. But this case is not a very well-known case. All right. I couldn't find too much on this case. There's maybe two other podcasts that have covered it and a few local newspaper clippings. But I heard that phrase, that one phrase. I heard it from family members. And that phrase gets me. It sucks me in. Quote, we want to keep his case out to the public and hope for answers. Unquote. Another cold case? It is. And as soon as I heard that quote, as soon as I heard his family say that, I was like, well, shoot. Here we go. I have to cover this case. All this being said, I have to remind you that it's just little old me that did all the research. I found what I could. It's just me on my trusty laptop sleuthing when my kids go to bed. So I did the best I could. First, I'm going to set the scene for this true crime story. The crime took place in the small village of Kirtland Hills, Ohio. It's a really small community. It's 25 miles northeast of Cleveland, and it's described on their website, kirtlandhills.org, that the residents enjoy a peaceful country setting with easy access to Interstate 90. So you have this small town feel, but then you just jump on the interstate and you can easily access the bigger towns and cities towns and cities cities and towns nearby (laughs) in 2019 there were barely 700 residents in this small village Mm -hmm. and i believe that's because a lot of the homes there have a lot of large acreage oh so they're spread out Mm -hmm. there's a lot of woods but they all had a lot of acreage it's i would probably gauge majority of it as being a very prosperous 
community. It's a farming community? No. Oh. Oh. So these are large homes, large homes on, on large, large estates. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm sure there is some farms there, but that's not yeah. the majority. So like where this crime took place, for example, it was a new neighborhood at the time. It was being built and it was called Hunting Hills. And I, I got on Google Maps and looked at all this. The neighborhood's very wooded, but there are very large houses on very large lots. Gotcha. But at the time of the murder... This was all just basically roads. So there's no homes. It's just paved roads. I think they were still even trying to establish the lots. Lots. Okay. But no trees torn down or anything. It's just some paved roads. And it was advertised, it was being advertised, because like I said, it was just starting, as homes to be built on larger lots of five to about 20 acres. Wow. That is a lot of land. So Friday the 13th, in March of 1992, 18-year-old Brian had been driven home from a high school party by a friend's parent. He was intoxicated and went and passed out in his letterman's jacket on his bed. A few hours later, his mother was shaking him awake, telling him that some officers were at their front door. He's a bit frantic. I didn't do it. Someone else drove me home. But Unfortunately, he comes to learn that his father, Raymond Timbrook, was found dead. Wow. The Timbrook family was going through some pretty big life changes at the time. Just before Christmas, so again, this happened in March. Mm -hmm. So just before Christmas in 1991, Ray and his wife, so Brian's parents, shared with their two sons, Brian and his brother Scott, that they were going to be separating and getting a divorce. Brian told True Crime Garage that it was really out of nowhere to him and his brother. There were no fights. There were no arguments. There was very little for the two to go off of that his parents oh, were even heading in that direction. That's awful. Is it though? Like, I think, yes, yeah, awful two sides to be out of, of the it. blue, but in a good way that they didn't have to witness any of the, the fighting hardships and the... that his parents were probably going through. True. They were kind of blindsided then. They were. And... Brian was set to graduate from high school that year and head off to college. And then his younger brother, Scott, was 16. So they're they're older. But I guess they had actually even gone to a relative's house or something for a weekend. And that's when his parents sat down and like had their decision, like made their decision kind of on their own. Mm-hmm. And when they got back from the relative's house, that's when they told them that they were splitting up. Okay. So when they split up, it was, I think, late November of 1991. And Ray went and lived with his parents for a while. She stayed in the house with the two boys and had primary custody over them. Mm-hmm. But they weren't divorced yet. They were just separated. I think they were in the process of getting that okay. divorce. And did Ray's parents live in the same town? Yes. Okay. Yes. But he only lived there for a month, maybe. He ended up getting his own apartment eventually. And it was sad because in the interview with True Crime Garage, Brian was saying that for a while he really thought it was his fault because he was, he called himself, you know, a little rough around the edges. He partied in high school a lot, got into Mm. some mischief. And so he thought that he was causing the stress that caused his parents to get divorced. And ugh, divorce is hard been there done that but i just for the kids i'm not divorced (laughs) it's like really i didn't know about that for the kids it's tough um but yeah he blamed himself and it kind of did come out of the blue but i'm just kind of setting the stage here that that happened at the end of november in 1991 and by march the father was dead yes so let me share a little bit about ray timbrook He graduated from Michigan State University. He became an engineer. He got married and had two sons, Brian and Scott. He was really close to his sons. In a WKYC article I read, he was described as a pensive, thoughtful, and kind of a nerd. That was exactly how the article described him. He never missed a Little League game for his boys, and he loved his fishing trips. I guess he took regular fishing trips to Canada. Hmm. Out in Kirtland Hills, Ray worked for a company called CT Consultants. Remember, he was an engineer. 
Essentially, this corporation out in Ohio, it includes consultants, architects, engineers, planners, and surveyors. Um, That's according to their LinkedIn profile I found. But they provide a broad range of architectural and engineering services to clients and serves as municipal engineer to 60 area communities. In 1992, I can't be certain what his actual job title was, what Ray's actual job title was, right. because a lot of the resources called him, some resources called him a surveyor, others called him an engineer. He was also labeled the VP. He was also labeled part owner. Okay, it's all over the board. Though. Right. But I think I think that's because he did do all of those things. Okay. He was part owner. Brian was actually set to go to college and then work for his dad. But I think because he was part owner, he had his hand in all of that stuff, in the surveying, in the planning, in the engineering. I think think he did it all. Mm -hmm. Basically, November 1991, Ray and his wife get divorced. He moves out. And now March 13th, 1992, he's found dead. Now, remember those large acreage lots I shared with you before that made the new neighborhood of Hunting Hills? Well, it was here on the road leading out of the zoned neighborhood where Raymond Timbrook was found dead in his car. Because of my limit of resources, it wasn't clear if the police officer was called to the vehicle or if the police officer was driving by and saw Saw the vehicle and went to check on it. Mm -hmm. But it was a newer car that he had. It was a 1991 Buick. The engine was running and the lights were on. And as the officer approached, he saw a man slumped on the steering wheel. I believe his first thought was that the man was asleep or maybe drunk. Mm -hmm. Checking out the scene a little closer, he realizes that the man had been shot. And he calls it in and basically calls it a suicide. Now, we can't be too rough on this officer for assuming this. Kirtland Hills. Well, let me just put it this way. I found a list of reported incidents of crime in Kirtland Hills. And this is from 2020 on areavibes.com. Reports of robbery, one. Reports of burglary, one. Reports of rape, zero. Reports of murder, zero. So a murder or a homicide isn't going to be what's on the officer's radar when he sees this man shot in his car. Right. It doesn't take long for police that arrive on the scene to discover, though, two gunshots done from a very close range. Mm. The man had been shot and killed almost execution style. So for timeline reasons, I'm going to back up. Friday the 13th in March of 1992, Ray tells his secretary that he has a meeting out at Hunting Hills. Now, CT consultants did a lot of work with the local government for roads and developments in the area. Actually, kind of all over from what I understand. And they were contracted with developers of the new Hunting Hills development. Makes sense. Okay. So it's not like he had a meeting out in some wooded area randomly. Uh It would make sense for him to be there. Right. So he was scheduled to have a meeting out there with a coworker. And over time, the time of that appointment has changed. But essentially, it was sometime between 3.30 and 4.30. Again, I did the best research I could. I don't know if that necessarily matters, but Source, right. the meeting was set for between 3.30 and 4.30. There's also been speculation that the meeting was set so late on that Friday because the location is somewhere between where he lived and where he worked. So maybe it was assumed that right after he was going to hit up that late home. meeting and then just go home. Sure. Exactly. And oh, by the way, this was the weekend with his boys. He had his boys every other weekend. Mm-hmm. And this weekend was the weekend with his boys. Another thing that has seemed to not be mentioned over the years, it was mentioned in earlier articles, but then they stopped referencing it in later articles, was the name of the man that Ray went out to meet. Mm -hmm. According to earlier articles, they name him George Smargan. Now, some resources say that George told police he couldn't make that meeting, that he didn't make it out there. And apparently he did have an alibi. Now, like I said... Ray was found slumped over the steering wheel. Let me describe what they found in more depth. The car engine was still running. The headlights were on. It was a cold day and the heat was on in the vehicle. So much so that Ray actually had burn marks from the heater on his legs. Is that possible? He did. Jeez. He had sustained two gunshots 
to his head. The first was on the left side of his nose from somebody from point blank range, very close to his face. It was assumed that he was facing his assailant when they shot him. There was enough of an angle, though, so it wasn't from straight on. There was an angle because the bullet was found by the corner in his neck. So almost down. The second shot hit him behind his left ear. An execution shot. The coroner reported that he died between 5 and 6 p.m. Are they, um, I mean, the left side, are they assuming that he was shot while he was sitting in the car? Yep. And my next sentence in the notes was, now let's discuss. <laughs> yes. That he was sitting in the car. Mm-hmm. The true crime garage guys kind of went back and forth on different scenarios. But because it was the left side of his nose and the angle, I'm thinking he was sitting in the driver's seat and he turned to look out the window at somebody that was standing obviously very close to him with the gun. Okay. So did he know this person? Like, was he in the driver's seat and they came up and he rolled the window down because he knew them? Or were they talking already? Maybe they were outside of the car talking and he got in the car, he rolled his window down to continue the conversation and then the person pulled the gun out? Or was he in his car waiting to meet somebody and then this random person comes over? Like Random person just walks up from behind him, rolls down the window to say, what do you need or do you need help or something like that? And yeah. boom. I mean, I guess I would look over even if it was just a stranger, but the window had been rolled down. There wasn't, I didn't read any damage in the window that the person shot through the window. So he had to have rolled the window down. Right. But he could have done that whether he knew the person or not. Right. I mean, in a remote place like that, rolled it down and said, can I help you? Or maybe the guy actually did say that he needed help. You know, who knows? Now let me throw some more stuff at you. Okay. I'm ready. The gun has never been found in this case. Right. Ever. So even if you're still like, oh, guys, this is a suicide. No. First of all, there's two shots, but the gun was never found and still to this day has never been found. Now, there were some articles that named a caliber of gun or what the police never came out ever with the caliber of gun. The only thing they've released is that it was a large caliber weapon. That's it. Hmm. And this is not a robbery. He still had his watch, his wallet. And his work materials were all in his trunk of his car still. So strange. And it's like, was it a random killing? But there's nobody out there, right? It was a deserted place. Okay, well, still, and I I think I covered this later, but let's stay on that angle. Even if it's as a random killing, wouldn't you turn the car off? Like you're drawing attention. The car is not tucked back. Don't picture this is an abandoned road and everything. It's an abandoned road and everything. There's no homes. Sure. But he's on the road leading out of the neighborhood. And he's got his lights on and the engine running. Oh, maybe they just shot him and took off. I mean. Now, there are two witness accounts. One woman said that they witnessed a man driving out of the area around the time that the murder would have taken place. She described the man she saw. She gave the profile of the man she saw. She said he was a burly barrel-chested man in his 40s with sandy wavy hair that curled up at the collar. The car was an older vehicle, like maybe this, like a 70s car, but it was in good shape. Okay. Another witness claimed to have seen two men at the open trunk of the vehicle discussing something. Open trunk of Ray's vehicle? Mm-hmm. Now, like I said, that's where his work items were. It could have been Ray. It could have been Mm -hmm. Ray and the stranger. And somebody, maybe they really were talking work. So was this really a meeting? Like, obviously, George had an alibi. Right. But was he meeting somebody else and he just told his secretary it was George? Like, did he use George as a... Well, did George say that there was supposed to be a meeting and he canceled it? See, that's not clear in my resources, but from what I understand, yes. Okay, they so did have a meeting set, but he never made that meeting. Okay, so we kind of don't know. Did he even, did Ray get word that the meeting was canceled? Maybe he didn't even get word that the meeting was canceled. Yeah. So he was still out there waiting for the other guy. George. <laughs> George. <laughs> the angles of the shots are interesting too, because he was found slumped over the steering wheel. Mm-hmm. And the angles of the shots, he actually would have been pushed because 
they were so close range to that fa- his face, he would have been pushed into the passenger side. Does that make sense? No, it does. Yeah. So it's presumed that he was lifted and put up onto the steering wheel. So even this, you're like, okay, there's a couple scenarios here. Did they pose him that way? Was it he purposely posed to maybe look like he was sleeping or passed out or what have you? Mm -hmm. But then again, you're posing him. Why would you leave the car running to draw suspicion even more and lights on? Another theory was that maybe when they shot him and he fell into the passenger side, maybe he fell on top of something that they needed or that they wanted. And they pulled him up, slumped him over the the steering wheel just so that they could grab what what was ever in the passenger side. Now, this is an affluent area, a very mild-mannered, chill engineer. I mean, he was even described as nerdy. Right. What the heck is going on? Well, it just gets even more interesting. (laughs) At the funeral, there were a lot of people there mourning. He was very beloved. But it wasn't just family and friends that were there. There were also a lot of officers there, too. And press. Mm. This was such a mystery to everyone, though. Right. And then as people were paying their last respects to Ray, a woman showed up. She's described as a mysterious woman in many news reports. She comes and announces that she is the fiance to Raymond Timbrook. What? Now, even though she was described as mysterious, she's not a stranger. (laughs) Newspapers just want to sell their articles. (laughs) It was a mysterious fact that they were engaged. Nobody knew that. Nobody even knew they were dating. But she was a co-worker to Ray. Wow. Her name was Lynn Egensberger. Well, maybe she's the reason they were separated, that they the husband and wife got divorced. Yeah, and, and she's never come forward and said that, but mm-hmm. I've, I've been curious, too. So she's there at the funeral mourning, just as they all are. She has a right to be there. I, you know, she's mourning. She walks up to the coffin to pay her last loving respects, and she quietly drops an envelope into the coffin. Ugh. Now, Brian, the son, mm-hmm. is very interested in the fact that this woman is claiming she is his dad's fiance. fiance right. And he actually invites her to a dinner that the family is holding after the funeral. Mm-hmm. And when she arrives at the dinner, she is actually then asked to leave by Ray's brother-in-law. Oh, tough situation. And from this point on, and possibly why she's still considered a mystery woman, she lawyers up and she won't talk to anyone. Why? No one knows. It's a mystery. She's a mystery woman. You got it. <sighs> now, I understand the emotion that the family had that had to have been feeling like Ray was murdered. Mm -hmm. His death is a total mystery. And now this woman shows up announcing herself as his fiance at the funeral. And it's not like they've been divorced for long. They've only been divorced for a few months. So the families all still know each other. They're all still very close. And now this woman's just coming out of the blue. I can understand being like, I don't want her here. Yeah, and especially if, I mean, we don't know, maybe she's the one who broke the marriage up. So that would add, you know. And that's just an assumption, there. though. It like, is. Total assumption. Maybe they just got engaged from really fast. what I understand, even his ex-wife had no idea who she was. Had no idea. So I understand, though, that they don't want drama there as they're mourning Oh, no. Ray. Totally understand that, yeah. But I wonder if... They would have talked to her if they would have. I don't I'm not saying if they welcomed her in. And I know this is all said in hindsight, but she was pushed out. And so she shut down. And I'm just wondering if they let her in or if they asked her questions, what they would have learned. I mean, we have to wonder because she's totally shut down, not talking. So weird. If she didn't have anything to hide, why would you? But why would you show up at a funeral in a public place and be like, I'm the fiance? And I'm not saying she did that. She didn't announce it like that. She did that. But, you know, tell people I'm the fiance, but then lawyer up. I don't know. All of that is very puzzling to me. And even though if I was invited to the family get together, I don't think I would have gone. You know? Yeah. That would have been so awkward. Yeah, but she did. I don't know. I don't know. According to a comment that True Crime Garage made on their episode 
on their website, quote, some of the CT consultant people knew about their relationship. Oh. Not sure if they knew of the engagement. But after Ray's death, a receipt was found in his apartment for an engagement ring purchased after he left his wife. Uh. It's very difficult, this angle, because Ray's family knew nothing of this woman. And then she refuses to talk after he is killed other than at the funeral. So she talked to the funeral, but she hasn't talked anywhere else. But here at the funeral, she wants to talk with his family. It was a missed opportunity. Ray's family believes that Lynn had a key to his apartment. Unquote. Mm. And, you know, they went back and forth a lot, too. Like, who knew about their relationship? Was this even legit? Who knew about the relationship and how long have they known about it? Right. Because there's a lot of questions of, like, is this woman even telling the truth? Well, that's what I thought initially. But But then there's a receipt for the ring. There's a receipt for the ring. And if people at work knew that they were seeing each other. I guess people knew that they were seeing each other. So the ring was probably for her. I think Lynn's actions are just really confusing. She felt the need to go to the funeral where no one knew about their relationship. She makes this announcement. She she like she seems to want to speak to the family. Well, she spoke to Brian. And she obviously loved him to come to the funeral. Mm-hmm. I mean, that had to be really uncomfortable for her. And she chose to do it. And she is owed her time to say goodbye, too. I want to know what the note that she dropped to the grave said. Well, yeah. And and I'll get there. Oh. I promise. Hold on to your butts. <laughs> but then when the family says that they don't want to talk to her, she then all of a sudden shuts down and refuses to talk to even law enforcement. And she gets a lawyer. Yeah. Jeez. So I just found that odd. That's very confusing. The other person who lawyers up right away is George. Oh, George. I know. We haven't had a George in a while. <laughs> That's usually a dead George. So. <laughs> this George is alive. I mean, according to my resources, he's still alive. Um, like I said, there is not a lot out there on this case. But the two people that seem to possibly have answers clammed up and pleaded the fifth. There have even been two grand jury trials over the following years where the two were brought in to testify. Yeah. And apparently... Nothing of their testimony gave any clear evidence to the prosecution. And about a month after Ray was buried, police had him exhumed Mm -hmm. so that they could retrieve the envelope that Lynn had thrown in. (laughs) You can start loosening the grasp on your butts. (laughs) Bad visual. Bad, sorry. But the content of what was inside the envelope has never been released. Um, Some sources said that the contents weren't relevant to the case. Well, police probably wouldn't share it if they were. I never saw that statement I in all my research. But, like, I never saw a statement issued by the police on it. About the, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we don't know if it was a trinket. We don't know if it was a letter. We don't know if it was an inside joke. We don't know. We just don't know. The sketch was put out to the public. No leads. The burly guy. Yep. If it wasn't already like a movie with this mysterious fiance showing up at the funeral, some of the tactics the police tried make it even more like a movie to me. Okay. So like I said, Ray liked to fish. So police set a tackle box on his gravestone and inside the tackle box was a microphone. <laughs> oh, so people came to the grave to talk because sometimes people do that. But what were they expecting? Were they expecting Lynn to show up and just be in like, I just imagine this dramatic i'm so sorry ray i can't believe i did this to you like what were they expecting do people do that i don't know but i've heard about police doing that like not yeah in hollywood not putting in a fishing box in a tackle box but (laughs) but putting it somewhere around the grave because i guess what an svu you saw that no i saw it like in, in a documentary of some sort like it really has been used. I know it's really been used. I just feel like it's so silly. Like, do people really show up at grave sites to? And how long do they run the microphone? <laughs> yeah, you know, like you don't know that anybody's gonna even show up. But I guess people, the killers, have shown up to grave sites. And another thing they did was they put up a billboard on the route of one of their suspects' way to work. <laughs> <laughs> it's like. 
looking at you. So every day this person would have to pass the sign requesting help in solving Ray's case with a large photo looking over the suspect on their way to work. I would just have this like really mean looking cop and his eyes just glaring down <laughs> so the guy sees that. Got my eyes on you. I know it was you. <laughs> And then everybody, I would feel guilty <laughs> if I passed that sign. I'd be, oh crap. I didn't tip the what? Starbucks girl. <laughs> what did I do? But I know I did something. <laughs> now, the thing I thought was so movie-like or something you would see in a crime-solving TV show, but they hired this PI from Florida, a female PI, to basically try to get into a relationship with George. <laughs> and essentially, they wanted, you know, pillow talk between the couple wait did they have any female pias closer than florida well they wanted somebody that he wouldn't know i guess i don't know <laughs> mom i don't know <laughs> but apparently she was compromised oh and anything she discovered was unusable <laughs> according to a journalist phil trexler he said that potentially she ended up falling for george <laughs> Pillow talk, just really. <laughs> I mean, oh my gosh. Now, Phil Trexler, that journalist, okay, I just mentioned, mm -hmm. you looked very confused. I was just like, who the hell is he? <laughs> He's a journalist that I just mentioned. He had just started as a police reporter in 1992. This was one of his very oh, first okay. cases that he had actually ever covered. And to this day, it's his like favorite case. Like He's obsessed with it. It's just really oh, fascinating so to him. Yeah. Uh, so he reports on this case on anniversaries and such like that to this mm -hmm. day. Today, he's actually the executive producer for WKYC Investigator Unit in Ohio. And this case just, it still sticks with him. He was interviewed on True Crime Garage, as well as another podcast I found called Ohio Mysteries, Episode 7. And he's the special guest on that episode. And essentially, he states that there are two theories we can go with. Police originally really leaned into the potential of a love triangle. Ooh. Apparently, at some point, Lynn and George were in a relationship. This George sounds like he's hot stuff. He's getting around, man. And essentially, George was angry at the relationship between Lynn and Ray. Mm. Phil states this was the angle that police really looked into the most at the beginning. He stated that they were stuck on this theory so much that they couldn't see the forest through the trees. A year later, police are still searching but drawing up no leads. They had had a grand jury trial, had exhumed the body and the envelope, and at this point the prosecutor in the case had even told the media that they just needed one more piece of the puzzle to solve it. That leads were leading them to a small group of people that had the information they needed, but those individuals weren't talking. We know who they are. So in March of 1993, police set up a little office in the CT Consultants Business Building. <laughs> and here is where the second theory starts to arise. So they set up this office and they kind of start to change their theory that it was not a love triangle. A lot of people, Phil Trexler included, believes that Raymond Timbrook knew something he shouldn't mm. or had information of importance. A lot of people believe that this was a hitman's job. Some say the hitman was hired by George, if you're still looking at the love triangle angle. Right. But others think it came from someone much higher than George. Phil said on the Ohio Mysteries podcast that he believes now in 2022, 30 years later, police have no urge to find Ray's killer. Mm. Not because they aren't interested, but because they have been led away or told to stop investigating by someone. Oh, conspiracy. Remember, CT consultants work with the government in many of their jobs. Multiple millions of dollars in government contracted work. And Ray had his hand in a lot of the jobs mm -hmm. and the work done in the company. Was there something going on? Yeah. Was there some kind of criminal activity? Right. The family believes it has something to do with work. Yeah, I was like, did they cheat somebody out of the land? Like did drama they... and all of that was just not in Ray's character. Right, I get that. But if he knew something, that wouldn't have been... If all 
prosecution needed was one missing piece of the puzzle. What is that piece? Phil was quoted as saying, quote, short of a confession, I don't ever see this case being solved, unquote. Yeesh. God, there's a lot of questions in this one. I know. And it does seem like police were working. You, you see them making an effort and trying, but it's just kind of tinkered off. Well, it's been 30 years. It oh. is quite the mystery. Right. I mean, if it wasn't a random, I mean, because nobody knows, you don't know, maybe something was going down there at the time that Ray went out there and he drove up on something. He drove up on something because it's a wide open space that nobody's there right now. Right. It's deserted. It has a paved road, but it's otherwise deserted. Correct. It's later on in the day. So probably nobody would have been out there. Mm -hmm. What if he drove up on something? Yeah, I don't. I mean, so it doesn't even necessarily have to be someone he knows. or. And if you guys are wondering, like, George does not match the sketch. Mm. Um, I'm just trying to think of, like, little that things sketch, yeah. that you guys might be questioning. I don't know. I mean, it just seems so random because he, he doesn't live a risque, risky lifestyle. Or risque. No, you're right. He doesn't. So, it and and, no and we'll post a picture of him. Like, if you guys look at him, like, he does. He looks like super chill dad. I don't know. Maybe he just was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Right. Knew too much about some job. Something. Who knows? And, and like I said, maybe he said he was meeting George, but really he was meeting somebody else. But, you know, he was engaged to a woman a few months after his divorce so it wasn't like he was totally on right. the up and up <laughs> all true so so maybe he was on that road though to mixing it up you know following his intuition and maybe he started maybe given benefit of the doubt maybe he started this relationship after his divorce and they just moved really fast and they just moved really fast because he's like i'm gonna mix it up i want to i you know life's too short whatever like maybe he was starting to liven his life up a little bit i don't i don't know mom i'm just playing different scenarios don't roll your face at me (laughs) so interesting really interesting and i wish i had more information to share but that's it i literally found i think two podcasts on this and then like a news podcast Hmm. and then like i said there's a lot of local news articles is what i found for the so Ohio I'm assuming area. the family also, like Brian and Scott, want to keep the memory of their father alive. And Scott's keep- not been interviewed anywhere, but Brian has. And yes, he's the one that I quoted in the beginning of the episode, wanting to keep his dad's story going. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Thank you. You're welcome. Those are hard to look into just because there's so very little out there. I know, but it really kept me going, too. Because there's so little out there. Yeah, and it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun to, like, take notes down from this article and then take notes down from that article and compare and contrast the different things. And even if they've been written, like, a month apart, how much different it is, or if they've been written years apart. Mm -hmm. Like I said, the earlier articles named George. And the later ones didn't. And the later ones didn't. He was, like, phased out. Hmm. Well, I think also because it isn't the topic or whatever isn't saturated. So you're not getting 10,000 different mm-hmm. points of view, like on, you know, bigger, well-known case. You're look, you're researching those and you're just inundated. So what makes it ideas. a bigger, well-known case, though? Like Raymond Timbrook is important. Right. Like any victim is. Every victim is. That's, but what, that's my point. Is what makes he is so important. His life was important to him, his family, his friends. He was important. So why aren't there 30 bajillion podcasts on Raymond Timbrook? I don't know, because his case is very interesting. But it doesn't even have to be interesting. Like, why Like why do some of these what cases makes get... something? Because there's hundreds yes. of killings, I mean, every day. So what, what makes one of those out of... A hundred. What makes that one so interesting? I don't know. I don't, I don't and that's know. what I kept like getting when I was doing the research. It was very frustrating because I was like, you you get to know the victim when you start doing all this mm-hmm. research, when you start to do all this research. And it's like, damn it. Yeah, I want to share his story. Like, this really stinks. He right. loved to fish and he never missed a t-ball game. And you know he loved his boys so much. And he was really excited that Brian was going to start working for him. And 
it's just sad. It's just really, really sad. Okay. I I don't have an answer for you. Okay, but do you have a paranormal story? I think so. Okay. I think I do. Okay. We watched a Ghost Adventures episode while she's pulling that up. We watched a Ghost Adventures episode today for our patrons. <laughs> we have so much fun doing that. <laughs> What's fun is there's a lot of times we have the exact same reaction. Yeah, and like Alex watched the first video back and he's like, "Yes, this is this is what you guys do watching Ghost <laughs> Adventures." We don't ever really just like watch it. We're always no. talking over we it. We never just sit down and watch. No. <laughs> We've never just sat down and watched. Is Ghost Adventures in your paranormal at all? Of course it is. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're How gonna did just, I know? You're just going to laugh when you see the way you're I start. You're just going to putz. You're laugh when I, you see the way I start this off. Putz. Okay, Puts. so. <laughs> I'm just, whatever. Go on. Paranormal in Ohio. The first thing that pops up is the Ohio, Ohio State, State Penitentiary. Reformer, reformatory, yes. Oh, sorry. Yes. Is that what you're covering? It's the same thing. Oh. Which was the location for the prison in the movie? Shawshank? Yep. Shawshank Redemption. Dang, I am so good. It's also a place that was visited by the Ghost Adventures crew, season two, episode one. Believe it or not, I am not going to follow that crew (laughs) in this paranormal episode. What? Yeah. Instead, I'm going to take you to Helltown. Okay, so I'm confused. Are you not covering the nope. penitentiary for okay nope. but you're still following ghost adventures nope. somewhere else believe it or not so you just I wanted not. to mention that yep because <laughs> i knew you'd ask oh, me whether wow. i was going to do hand me another adventure. cherry this woman over here <laughs> you're so random mom i know Helltown is actually one of the 25 ghost towns that exist in ohio its actual name is boston ohio i was literally just gonna ask what is its actual name boston Ohio. The oldest village in Summit County settled in 1806. The village began thriving with the first mill being built in the early 1820s. Several years later, there was an influx of more people due to the construction of the Ohio and Erie Canal. More mills began to flourish in the area, and most of those being paper mills. In the early 1880s, a railroad station, Boston Mills, was built in town. Now, looking at the pictures of the town, I was immediately struck with its charm. Um, think Mayberry. Oh God! <laughs> but you know, you You're were describing obsessed. you were describing the countryside, but being close to a mm-hmm. big town. I don't know that they're really close to a big town, but just it looks so inviting. You know, it yeah. was like just a main street and these nice little houses and. I totally you thought Mayberry. You love small I, towns like that. And I love Mayberry. So it's you like, do. I would like to live in a town like that. I would I would hate that. Oh, I would so love it. You would love to know your neighbor's business all the time. Business? <laughs> yeah. That's what I call it. Like you you'd like that? No. You would like your business. neighbors knowing your business? <laughs> My business is not that exciting. So. <laughs> I, I just, I don't think I could, I don't know. I like my neighbors. If I needed anything, I know I could go get it for my neighbors. But I don't know. Well, I live in a street where actually most of us know each other. And the two neighbors on either side of me, I mean, when we go out of town, we always tell them we're going out of town. And they tell us so that we can watch each other's houses. Yeah, I do that with my neighbors too. And But this is really special because on one side of us, they take our cat. They love on him and spoil him rotten for however long we're gone. The other side (laughs) takes Obi, the dog, and they spoil him rotten. He gets long walks, and at night when they sit and watch TV, Obi's in the middle of them on the couch. I believe it. Uh, My neighbor tells me I have a package when I'm out of town, (laughs) and my other neighbor, though, will snowblow my driveway. I like neighbors like that. See, if and there's if even a, a little whole, bit of snow, he's out there cleaning my driveway off. If you're in a whole town like that where everybody's looking out for each other and I don't know. I, It'd be nice for every once in a while, but I'm such a Well, recluse. you and the boys can come and visit me in Mayberry. Okay. <laughs> How's that? Let's just go back to your story. <laughs> yeah, let's do. <laughs> the listeners have already turned us off. In the late 1960s, people 
nationwide became concerned with the destruction of forests. Sorry, the way you said nationwide is on your side. God, let me finish with my story. See what happens when we're together? Maybe we should just zoom it every time. Uh, I'm going to try that again. Then in the late 1960s, people nationwide became concerned with the destruction of forests. You're singing it too, aren't you? Nationwide is on your side. Okay. We needed more national parkland. So in 1974, President Gerald Ford signed legislation that allowed the National Park Service to purchase land and use it to create national parks. That all sounds great, right? Mm-hmm. Super great. Super great. Super, super great. As a result, hundreds of acres in Ohio were designated a national recreation area. Cool. Woohoo. Awesome. Very cool. I love parks. I love state and national. They're wonderful destinations to hike, picnic, and camp. But what I did not realize was that this 1974 legislation allowed the federal government to buy homes and lands from their owners without warning. What? Yeah. Pretty much once it was decided that an area was to become part of the parkland, there was no negotiation. The owners were simply forced to leave with little compensation. That is horrible. It's called eminent domain. That's horrible. Yeah. This affected a large portion of the area near and around Boston, Ohio, which became part of the Cuyahoga Valley National Park. I'm pretty sure I said that right. (laughs) Sounded right to me. I don't know. Uh, It's Cuyahoga. Cuyahoga Valley National Park. I mean, just imagine you live on a farm in a house that's been in your family for generations and all of a sudden you're made to leave. It'd be horrible. To add insult to injury, because of delays and bureaucracy, the buildings and homes just sat there, empty and falling apart for decades. That's really sad. Finally, being demolished in 2016. Oh my gosh. For decades, they just sat there where those people could have been living there. Yeah. Many stories and legends grew from this deserted area, giving it the name Helltown. We're talking ghosts, cults, Satanists, and even a chemical spill that caused human and animal mutations. Let's just jump into some of these. Oh boy. We'll start at the Boston Cemetery, which sits almost in the middle of Helltown. There have been reports of the apparition of a man sitting on a bench and just staring into space. What? That's actually really creepy. It's very creepy. Is he waiting for his family? Now, the cemetery is locked. I guess too many visitors wanting to chat with the apparition. I'm not sure, but... Oh. He's there sitting there lonely. They locked them out, or did they lock him in? They locked him in. (laughs) (laughs) One story concerning the evacuation of the town's residents is that the National Park thing was just a cover-up. For the real reason. Of course. Chemical spill. The spill is said to have caused mutations in the children in the area and the animals that came in contact with the chemicals. One such animal is the Peninsula Python. Ew. Now, anyone that knows me knows that I do not do snakes, okay? I do not no. do snakes at all. I can't even look at pictures of snakes. Now... There were actual sightings of this large snake. No. Okay. I don't like this conversation either. On June 8th, 1944, Clarence Mitchell saw an 18-foot snake in his cornfield. For real? A group of men searched for the snake for several days, but only found broken branches and the snake's trail, which was said to be the width of a tire track. Okay. (laughs) But they never found the snake. No, he saw it. There were reported sightings of the snake throughout the summer. That's really, really scary. Then the sightings kind of stopped. Was the snake so large due to the chemical spill? Oh boy. Or... Zach over there. There happened to be a traveling circus in the area that summer. No way. A circus that reported losing one of its star attractions. A large python. Can you imagine? No. Can you imagine? No. <laughs> No matter whether the snake came from the carnival or the chemicals, (laughs) the locals have run with the story and actually annually celebrate the snake with Peninsula Python Day on July. Did you mean to say celebrate? (laughs) 
celebrate the <laughs> snake with Peninsula Python Day on July 21st. Oh. Now, when I was looking at their website and stuff, the latest posting about the event was July 2018. So I don't know if it is annually anymore because I didn't see any updates. But that would be really cool if they celebrated that Still annually. do that. <laughs> now, I have to add that legends do have some truth. We've talked about that before. Mm-hmm. There actually was a family who owned a private dump not far from Helltown. The land was part of the land acquired by the National Park Service. It looked like a junkyard, but rangers noticed strange odors and complained of headaches and rashes and vomiting. The Environmental Protection Agency stepped forward in 1985, and after tests found that there were highly toxic substances, which were leaked from thousands of drums dumped by major companies, and they were buried there on that land. Cleanup started but never finished. Mm. So I wonder what kind of strange animals that left Ohio with. (laughs) True. Very true. Then, oh no, we have the little white church, Uh oh, which according to some sources sits in the middle of Helltown. That's not right, but (laughs) stories have it that the church was a place of practicing Satanists. Oh, is this another house for the devil? Well, you ask me, why would they think a church would be a place of satanic rituals, correct? I did. Yeah, you I did. did. You, you were did. looking at me with this baffled look. Yeah, I, I asked that. Mm-hmm. In places on the outside of the church, there are what looked like upside down crosses. Oh my gosh. Yes, Satanists use the symbol of upside down crosses. But in this case, this quaint little church that I'm talking about, these features belonged to a gothic revival style in which the church was constructed. So they actually just flipped over? They don't even... Okay, like, it's very interesting. If the light is shining on this church, the shadow reveals an upside-down cross. Interesting. If you look at the actual design, it could be an upside-down cross, but it could also be like this upside-down gothic type. Steeple or... Not steeple. They're they're on the outside of the church, like around it, like right on... at the front door, you know, on top of the front door there, there's a, it's a design. It's just a, it's just a pretty design. And so it just makes a shadow on the side of the church and people have made this demonic or, or they even look at just the things and say they're demonic. Yes. They look at the things, the things, the things hanging upside down. Oh boy. The church is actually in the vicinity of Helltown where people are welcome to visit and explore. This is hard to do with Hilltown itself because the watchful eye of the park rangers. So you can't... Wait, so you can go there you or can't, you can't go no, there? No, you can't actually go into Helltown, okay? It's really very complicated and I... Sat, I'm thoroughly confused. I sat there for a good hour like, okay, now is Helltown a town or... There's nothing left of Helltown. They've tore it down, but just recently, okay? So oh. it's like... All but torn think down. Of what they could have done with that. But the road is blocked off. You can't even drive into Helltown. Okay? okay. You can't even drive there. Um, you could walk, but rangers keep a really close eye on it. No wonder they had to tear it down. I'm sure they had people going out there all oh, the time. Definitely. Definitely. But think of what they could have done. Oh, I know. It could have been another wander year, yonder year that you talked about. Uh-huh. But it's part of the park, you know, and, and but it's part of the park, but you can't really go there. Yeah, that's weird. You know, it's it's well, no kinda, wonder they tore it down. It's kind of locked locked off. You can't go there even now. Yeah. But then before that lock off, people live on the road. Oh. You know, and, and they live in the little town that's outside of Helltown, which is a beautiful just this quaint little place. It's just beautiful. And where you want to live, I got it. And that's where the church is. I see. So it's really close to Helltown. And in some sources, they say it's in Helltown. And it's not. It's on the outskirts. Okay. I'm kind of debunking all the stuff as I'm talking about it, by the way. Yeah, I can tell. On the edge of Helltown, there used to sit an abandoned school bus. Oh, gosh. The bus has legends of its own. This is the story. The bus was carrying a group of high school students who were going to one of the ski resorts near Boston. An elderly woman flagged down the bus and, in a panic, explained that there was a young boy in her house who was seriously hurt. 
The bus driver, attempting to help, turned down her driveway and drove into the woods, hoping to revive the boy. When the bus approached the house, Satan worshippers swarmed it and sacrificially murdered all of those aboard. I mean, at least make the story believable. Oh, another story has it. All the people on the school bus were killed by a serial killer. Oh. The story goes on to say that if you peer through the bus windows, you can actually see the ghost of the victims or the face of the killers sitting inside the bus. Okay, but what's the real story? You want to hear the real story? Yes. In actuality, there was a man who had been given rights. He had asked and been given rights to live in the bus with his family until the work on repairing his house was done. (laughs) And then he just like left it there? Well, it wasn't his to begin with. It was really an an abandoned abandoned bus. bus. Okay, the bus is no longer there. They've moved it, but they have pictures. Oh my gosh. They have pictures of this abandoned bus sitting on the side of this road by this dilapidated kind of barn. The pictures are eerie as hell. Well, yeah, (laughs) abandoned anything, like we've talked about, is very disturbing for Beth. Stanford Road, otherwise known as the end of the world or highway to hell, is a road that leads to Helltown. Highway to hell. Helltown. Highway to hell. And it hasn't been maintained in years. You can only drive so far on it until you come to a roadblock with a dead end sign, which is what I told you. Dead end. (laughs) Pun intended. (laughs) Legend has it that the road itself is evil and can take possession of your vehicle and cause it to crash. Mm. I'm not sure about that thought. I'm thinking the road is very dangerous due to its twists and turns. No shoulder and no maintenance and people may be driving too fast on the highway to hell causing their own crash. That sounds terrifying too. That's me kind of thinking out loud there. Okay, I know I'm no fun having debunked these legends, but I will tell you that the area around Helltown, which is, like I said, basically just this wild, wide open field, is beautiful and quaint. And that's the place around Helltown. Some place that I would love to visit, but when you see the pictures of Helltown, the ghost town, with its abandoned buildings and homes and random school bus sitting on the side of the road, (laughs) which have all now been, you know, flattened. But when you see that, I swear to you, my mind immediately went to the walking dead. Really? Is that what it kind of looked like? It looked exactly. I mean, they could have filmed the walking dead there. Oh, it was exactly. That's the eerie. You know, when you watch that show, it was just that eerie. It's just the abandoned places thing. It just, it gets me every time. You just, I, I don't know. I mean, I really enjoyed watching The Walking Dead until it got into like season five or something. But it, you always sat on the edge of your seat and you had the heebie-jeebies like yeah. the whole time you're watching it. And yeah. when I looked at those pictures, I got the same you feeling. You would not have been surprised if you saw a zombie in the picture. No. <laughs> I wouldn't have. It was just that eerie. So haunted or not, the place has a creep value of like 10, I would say. But apparently not anymore since everything's, everything's leveled raised. and taken away. <laughs> and honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if there was satanic worship being done there or around Helltown. I'm sure the park rangers are kept busy chasing people away and maybe with more nefarious activities as well. Well, they're not as busy anymore because it's gone. Well, people are still attracted to going down there, especially like ghost hunters and stuff. Yeah. Because supposedly there's a lot of spirits in Helltown. <laughs> and even though they've taken the buildings out, there's still spirits there, supposedly. So was it actually a town or was it just people's homes? I think it was people's homes, but they had the mills and stuff there too. Okay. So it was like, that's, it was so, it was like in the Boston Township. I have to look this up. I'm excited to look this up. My phone's dead right now, but... I know it's very confusing, and I'm sorry I confused you, but I was confused also. I'm still kind of confused. Join us on this confusing podcast. So I I was trying to get the exact location of this place. Okay. And then it's like, like I said, you read sources, and some of them said that these buildings were all in Helltown. This church and everything was in Helltown, and it's not. Okay. And the church is very well maintained. It's this beautiful little church. And people still go to it or is it abandoned no people it's in a it's in a town where people live i mean you know there's population of like a thousand Mm. 
And it's Lady of Sorrows. Okay. Yep. Oh, but a loose snake. That's and, terrifying, isn't it? Yeah. An that, abandoned school bus. Yeah, no. <laughs> I will stay off that highway to hell for sure. That was a fun little place to visit for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good episode, though. I'm happy we did it in person. Me too. Well, Mom. Beth. We will not have another episode out for two weeks. Right. Leave those reviews for us, friends. Remember, there's a goodie at the end of the line. (laughs) (laughs) The end of the line. (laughs) It's the end of the line for us. I know. It is so late. Why the heck did we start recording this so late? I didn't know. So tired. All right. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. There's a link at the description of this episode where you can buy us a cocktail we'll give you a shout out there's also that link will also take you to our website where you can see our resources and photos for this episode there's all that link will also take you to our instagram or facebook or youtube yeah, yeah just oh yeah we're on youtube whoopsie we have our own youtube channel Woo-hoo. so yeah all right this is another good one mom It was fun. It was fun. Cheers, mama. Cheers. Love you, kid.